Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Powered by the Sales IQ Are you ready? Let's get to it. As a four-time CEO and founder with a diverse background in business development, product marketing, product development, and so much more, Toby knows more than a thing or two about starting, building, and scaling a successful business. Currently, Toby Murdoch is working on building Highway Education, a unique business that bridges underemployed, less experienced professionals with marketing employers looking for talent. And what makes this business even more special? There is a focus on improving opportunity and inclusion for individuals that are often underserved and underrepresented. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. So please take a listen to this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, where you'll hear inspirational advice for those looking to build or accelerate their career in digital marketing and in marketing operations. So excited to be here today with Toby Murdoch, the CEO and founder of Highway Education. Highway Education serves as a bridge between underemployed young adults and talent-seeking marketing employers with a focus on improving opportunity and inclusion. So welcome, Toby, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to unpack your story and learn more about what you're building. Awesome. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Rosalind. Thank you so much for having me. That's great. So, well, let's talk about Let's talk a little bit about your career journey, right? Your backstory leading to founding Highway Education. I mean, you've had such an incredible and broad background, right? As a founder, a CEO, I think it's like four times as a CEO with experience, you know, in business development, you've got product marketing background, you've got product development. I mean, so such a diverse background. So maybe can you share more about your career journey and some of your experience prior to highway education? Sure. Well, since you mentioned diversity of experience, I will say I have started a few businesses and originally it was a flower import export business in Ecuador. That was my first, but that's pretty as as far away from like tech as as, as we can be. (laughs) Most recently, I started a company called Capost. Capost is a content marketing software platform for B2B marketing organizations and is very much in that Eloqua, Marketo, Salesforce, et cetera, ecosystem. And I did that sort of across the decade of the 2010s and learned a lot of things the hard way from that experience. But I was fortunate, I guess, two or three years ago now to sell that business to Upland Software. And sort of when I was all done with, with that and wondering what to do next, I was 
pondering. I'm like, hmm, I've, I've done a few software businesses. But then I was like, is the universe crying out for another software business? I'm not sure if it was, <laughs> you know, like I didn't hear the universe crying for that. And so I decided to, to try to do something with a little bit more of like a human impact instead of a bits and bytes impact. And uh, that's why I, I started Highway. I love that. I love that. Didn't know about the flowers, but that's really <laughs> interesting too. I did talk to a guest earlier this week who started by selling shoes. Yeah. Selling shoes at, at a department store. So well, we all get to start somewhere. At least they don't like wilt and die. The hard part about flowers when you're shipping them across hemispheres is they're extremely oh, yeah. perishable. So that was challenging, but uh, it was a good experience. I love living in Ecuador for whatever that's worth. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, a lot of times I speak to founders on the show and usually the company, you know, gets started as a result of trying to solve a problem or maybe there's some specific challenge. You know, was this the case with highway education? Like, was there some kind of, you know, aha moment or some kind of situation that led you to start the business? Well, I sold my last company in 2019. And so, you know, there's always a lot going on in the news. But back then, you know, that was the summer, a lot of the LEM protests and the 2020 elections. And there was evidently a lot of tumult in our society. I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, how can I make some kind of impact on that front? And I think certainly underneath a lot of that frustration was people who, you know, aren't getting a shot into kind of the, in terms of professional and financial opportunity that, that others are getting, right? And so I was thinking about that on one side and then my experience in Compost, working with a lot of MarTech and MOPS leaders, you know, they'd always be distressed about how hard it was to find talent and how there was such a talent shortage and they couldn't find people with enough skills to, to fit an experience to fill these jobs. And so the juxtaposition of those two observations is what really drove it to me. You know, like, why is it that we have one hand, you know, you know, turbulence in our society because people aren't, are frustrated because they're not finding opportunity and, and, and assuming and believing that there's a lot of people with lots of potential that can do great things, but just can't find the opportunity on one side. And then, on the other, that there's employers who are frustrated because they can't find, you know, the, the qualifications and talent that they want. And so something in our educational professional development system is missing. And so it's just like, to me, that's just like a sitting duck of an opportunity to make impact is how can we satisfy the needs of both of those groups by, you know, acting as this bridge. And so that was sort of my thinking behind starting Highway. Got it. Got it. I love that. I love that. I think that that also kind of feeds into my next question, just around the business model, right? I mean, you talked about helping, you know, helping provide education and training, right, for those who want to be in the marketing, you know, marketing operations space. And then obviously companies need help with identifying hiring that talent. So can you maybe talk a little bit more about kind of the business model, you know, how both companies as well as individuals, how they benefit and sort of how you bridge that together? Yeah. Well, I will talk to you about as best as I can but it's 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 a lot it's evolving and I'm learning at what happens at you know early stage endeavors so it's going to be somewhat of a lengthy explanation so originally my thought was to take the model of the boot camp that's been applied in the coding industry and apply it to marketing operations so with boot camps you recruit people to a school it's a really intensive but relatively short duration say around four months 
full-time training program. And critically, you don't charge students anything up front. You make it all conditional that they only owe you tuition if they get a job. In our case, it's paying 55 grand or greater. And then they can pay you in, in kind of monthly payments thereafter. So you're trying to make it affordable on that side. And so you bring them in, you train them, and then you reach out to employers and, and recruit them and do a whole set of matchmaking to make all that work. So we've succeeded in that, but I felt like there's limits to that as well, because I found that when you're reaching out to like an aspiring young professional or middle-aged professional, whatever it is, even though we don't charge switch up front, they need to quit their job, work with us full-time, figure out how they're going to support themselves and trust that everything's going to work out well for them in the, in the end. And that's a big ask, I've found, and it really limits the number of people who you're able to bring in. And as I try to grow what we're doing, it didn't seem sustainable. So we've changed the model, and I told you this was going to be a long answer, unfortunately. But we've changed the model to where we hire them from the beginning. So now we recruit, we hire them right from the get-go. And so the first few months when we're training them, we're paying them. And so we are now much more committed financially <laughs> to everything we have to put out or, yeah, we got to put out a lot more money up front. And, and then similarly, we bring in employers because these, you know, marketing ops specialists as they become are on our payroll already, we can sort of make it easy for employers and say, hey, you don't have to go all the way in and hire this person. You can just pay highway and hire them as a contractor, which is an easy way to start. And then we have opportunities or the option for employers to flip that contractor into a full-time employee at a later date or right at the beginning or if they choose. So that's our new model. Just this is the we're right now in the first cohort of the new model. It's really been interesting just to be very candid, you know, to make the whole thing work. You know, we're a B Corp, so we're somewhere between a business and a charity, you know. So, we're, we're the nice thing I like about B Corps is that you know, charities reply on nonprofits rely on donations, we rely on the business working, and I like making businesses work, so it's much my preferable preferred thing. So, we have a legal commitment to our social mission. But we have to make the business work. And part of making the business work is satisfying our clients, right? Like satisfying employers. They need to have job-ready people who perform really, really well. And even though we do a lot in the months where we do the training folks, a huge factor is just what's their capability? What's their life experience? What's their potential before they've come to see us? And the cool thing I've seen, Rosalyn, is as we've evolved this offering, it's much more compelling to the talent side. And so we're able to significantly increase the quality of the talent that we're able to bring in the program. And I'm excited to see how that impacts the employer side. I think they'll be quite delighted. So long answer to your question about our evolving business model, but that, that's where we are today, having evolved from a boot camp to this model where sort of like a staffing agency with a training program on the front end of it. It's also a model that I stole from the software industry 
It's called Hire, Train, Deploy is the approach, and that's what we're doing now. Awesome. That's awesome. I just imagine kind of that on being able to earn while you're learning and have a, you know, potential of, you know, converting it into a longer term career at a company, whether it's with Highway or with a, you know, with another firm, but it's, that's actually a really great model. So it's very interested in continuing to watch how that, yeah, <laughs> how that progresses too. for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's definitely that shortage, right? In talent in operations. Yeah. I mean, there's a shortage, I think, in all areas of revenue operations, right? From an experience and then expertise perspective. But, you know, I guess specifically from a marketing ops perspective, like what are you seeing in the market, right, today in terms of that talent shortage? Yeah. Right? Well, are you we, seeing the same? Yeah, we just put out a report with our friends at Demand Base. So we did a survey of about 800 people in the MOPS industry. So we got tons and tons of data and it was quite revealing. So the report talked about how supply, sorry, so demand for marketing operations talent is through the roof. We had statistics yeah. like growth in the number of companies, you know, utilizing the MOPS function has been, has been 228% over the last five or six years. So wow. huge, huge growth in the number of companies and significant growth in the number of people on average in each one of these companies. So so many more people needed in this function, so demand yeah. through the roof. But then we asked, okay, and how, how did most of you get into marketing operations? Were you formally trained on it or did you just kind of fall into it? So 93% said they fell into it. Yeah. Which is neat for all these pioneers, people like yourself and others who sort of got the industry growing and going, but it's no way to sustain the talent needs of the industry for its next stage of growth. Like, like, so we have in our country, we got like mechanical engineering as a professional field and there's dozens of institutions who train people in mechanical engineering and they pump that out and same thing in architecture or same thing in dentistry or whatever, right? Like, there's nothing equivalent in digital marketing in general or specifically in marketing operations. So while you know, demand is through the roof, no new supply is being generated. And so that is placing massive strain on the system. And so our report gets into more details about burnout, about turnover, about people who are senior and senior roles feeling dissatisfied because they can't delegate anything because there's a lack of junior people in the industry about spiraling and out of control wages and whatnot. So there's all sorts of problems that are besetting the industry as a result of this, you know, imbalance between runaway demand and no new supply being generated. Yep. Yep. Definitely see, I've seen, I'm seeing that quite a bit everywhere. There's sort of a gap in, you know, experience and expertise. It's not fast enough, right? We can't get people trained up fast enough and it takes time, yeah. right? It takes time to really learn the business and really understand all of the different facets because operations is just so broad. It takes time. And when you're an employer, how are you going to do that? Are you going to train one person at a time? Right. And then be at great risk that you're to hire that person on a low wage and then their value is going to go up for the training. And then are they going to leave and jump somewhere else and your whole investment in training and you're not really set up as a training organization, your whole investment in that training gets squandered. Like talk to tons of people who've been burned in that way. So the incentives really aren't there for individual employers to invest in this training. So what they do instead is they go and poach another, you know, six, 
six years experience senior manager who's making 200K and they offer her, you know, 250K and, you know, they just get that person and overburden that person, not just with senior work, but also with the mundane tasks that are part of the job and the cycle continues. And it's just getting worse and worse in the industry and but never fear highways here. So we're, we're, we're here to solve it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But I guess you touched on this a little bit too, but I mean, like, what are you seeing, you know, when we talk about organizations, right? What are what do you think they're doing right when it comes to sourcing and retaining MOPS talent? You touched a little bit on kind of what they're doing wrong, but yeah. are there other things that you think they're doing right and maybe other things that they're doing wrong? Well, I think that one of the important things that they're doing right is paying more, right? I mean, and so, you know, the, they're responding to the market and MOPS people's Compensation generally is at a, a good rate of increase, which is great for MOPS professionals. And it's the smart thing to do. You know, when any, it's sort of like housing in the US, which we won't spend a lot of time on, but any time <laughs> a market's, you know, supply is artificially constrained, you have to respond by, you know, increasing pricing. So that's been a logical and, and, and well warranted response to, to doing what they're doing. Let's see, trying to automate more and more is obviously a smart response to that situation that they're doing well, but, um, but still something has to change. We're, we're, we're at a kind of unsustainable trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, maybe on the flip side of that, when you, you know, for any individuals who, you know, they see this demand, they see this opportunity for growth, and and then they say, hey, I want to start a career, right? I want to start a career in marketing ops. Like, what advice do you have for them? Like, how do they know if if marketing ops is even the right career path for them? Like, what questions should they be asking themselves? Yeah, it's interesting. I would say a few things. One, when you, you know, I'll talk about what what capabilities, what do you need to like to do? Yeah. And then I'll talk about what you couldn't do if you want to head down this pathway. Perfect. So I've spent a ton of time talking to marketing operations leaders about what attributes they're looking for. Where I'm not talking about like specific experiences and skills, but much more generalized kind of capabilities. Over and over again, I'd be curious your reaction to this. Oslin, but over and over them, they say curiosity. They say curiosity. They want curious, critical thinkers. They want people who wonder about how things work and are willing to take something apart and figure it out and build it up again, you know, because they want people who can be kind of self-directed in jumping into the jungle of, of a MarTech stack and figuring it all out and being able to fix and manage and maintain and monitor it all, you know, independently. Obviously, it's part of the team, but, you know, not handheld through the process. So they want people who apply the scientific method and, you know, will we'll, we'll tinker with stuff and figure out how it works. So that's, I would say, one, are you innately curious? Are you a problem solver? Are you a critical thinker, right? That's, mm. that's attribute number one that I've heard from MOPS leaders. Beyond that, it's this hybrid role, right? You have to have enough, you, you, you don't need to be a coder, but you need to have an affinity for tech. You need to understand yeah. a lot of tech concepts like QA or what a database is and how fields are related and and whatnot. So you have to have an affinity and, and kind of an ability around tech, but also you have to be a business thinker, right? You have to enjoy business problems. You need to, you know, think about customer journeys and strategies and being accountable for performance and metrics and whatnot. So in addition to this curiosity, 
it's this blend or this hybrid nature across the kind of business tech spectrum that I think is the, the other thing you should be assessing for yourself. Then it gets really hard in terms of how do you actually get to do it. You know, I'm also a, spent a lot of time looking over job postings in MOPS. I, I've been spending a lot of time doing that. And even at the most entry level, the most entry level, it says two years experience required, three years experience required. People don't, as we were saying, they don't want people who aren't job ready. They want people yeah. with existing experience, but it's this classic chicken and the egg phenomena. Of, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, you got to get your first job to get the experience to get the job which is yeah. <laughs> uncontrolled, right? This is the dynamic, which is kind of putting such strain on the industry. So what would I do? It's hard because you can't like grab your own Marketo instance and start playing with it because That's a Marketo, it's not like other software tools like Google Analytics, like anyone can grab a free instance and start playing with it and do whatever. Even Salesforce as a CRM, as you know, as a RevOps person, you could do a free instance. But the major enterprise systems, Oracle, Oracle Eloqua, that is, Marketo, Parda, you can't even do it unless you're throwing down thousands of dollars. So it's really hard to get your hands into these things. Closest thing you could do if you're, you know, junior and trying to get into this is something like HubSpot, but it's freer and expensive instances are kind of limited in, in what they can do. But that would be a place to start and... I don't know, then you need to get experience doing live stuff with live data, because even if you're playing with like an empty instance, that's not going to get you that far. So it's it's a hard to break into. You could get, you know, really courageous on Upwork and build your way in, in to, to getting some experience that way through taking on projects. But you can see all the barriers and hurdles there are to getting started in, in this sector, which is why... <laughs> You know, the only way people in is like, well, I was an SDR and I happened to sit next to the MOPS person and I was looking <laughs> over their shoulder at Marketo and they were struggling. So I did some stuff and that's how I started. Like, this is what we're down to in the industry for generating new supply. And this is why, the, you know, th things are so strange. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And none of us like what sit there and say, oh, we want to go into, you know, marketing ops or we want to be a RevOps professional. We kind of land in it, right? Yeah. But but to your point, we have those traits, kind of those soft skills, that natural curiosity, the ability to kind of think process-wise, yeah. be able to take something very high level, you know, high level of thought and be able to kind of break that into digestible pieces that you can actually go execute upon, yeah. right? It's kind of an operational mindset more so than anything yeah. else. Or even engineering kind of thinking, exactly. even if you're not necessarily an engineer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I love that. You know, having been in, right, a lot of different operational leadership roles kind of across go-to-market, I'm asked quite a bit, you know, from individuals, like, how do we move, right, from that tactical administrative person to being that thought leader, right, that true business mm -hmm partner. And so I spend a lot of time kind of sharing advice, you know, tips, things that people can do even to just move the needle slightly, right? One super simple example I always tell people, it's like, look, when someone asks you to run a report, it's like, instead of just running the report, figure out what are they trying to solve, right? What answers are they trying to, what answer are they trying to get to? What questions are they trying to answer? And then think about what's the best way to present that and not just send a report, right? Instead, take the time to analyze sure. the the information, glean the insights, provide a story, you know, share an opinion, you know, some of those kind of little steps that people can do to just start to 
add more value and become, understand the business better. But I mean, I think, you know, given your exposure to so many different organizations, you know, obviously you've talked to many professionals in the space. Do you have any tips or yeah, maybe tricks that you would offer? I would I, and I learned this the hard way through starting businesses that had a whole lots of kind of struggles and challenges along the way. So it, particularly composed, you know, you're trying, you're running a startup and you're trying to figure out how to succeed and you have a lot of issues. And I had one board member who always had hand, hammer at me about the value, value proposition that he used to simplify down and just do a few questions like, who is your customer? What's your problem? How do you solve it? And how do you, how is that solution better than anyone else? And, mm-hmm. and then you could do a fifth on like, how do you measure, you know, the, the value you're generating? But you can even just stick with those four. And anyone in any part of any business is involved in that value proposition. And I think always thinking and considering what that value proposition is and having hypotheses, writing it down, collecting it, data in terms of your hypotheses and refining it. Even if you're in a big company where you really can't change the value proposition, but you just understand it better. Right? You understand better who your customer is. You understand better what their problem is. You understand better how you're solving it and how to communicate that. And, and because to the extent that you have all of those elements of a value proposition well aligned in a business, then execution is easy because the wind is like blowing <laughs> into your sails so strongly that, you know, it's like, well to extend the metaphor, it's like executing, like it doesn't matter how well we steer the rudder or pull on the sheets, you know, in the boat. And so, but to the extent though, those aren't well aligned, there's not a lot of wind and you got to like get out the oars and start paddling and stuff too, which is a lot harder. So I think, especially if you said you want to kind of migrate from the tactical to the strategic, like how can you think at that strategic level and always think about that value proposition because to me that's the essence of a business and so to, to you know put on that hat and be considering those questions on a regular basis i think helps elevate you to that more strategic level. Yeah. Yeah, i love that. Thank you. Thank you. That's super helpful. Sure. So let's shift gears a little bit to opportunity and inclusion. Yep. I know highway education was set up as this public benefit yeah. corporation, right? You have a commitment to improving opportunity and inclusion. So maybe can you help us understand, you know, what does that mean from yeah. a corporate perspective as well as from a maybe mission or charter perspective? Yeah, so from opportunity's sake, we just want to provide a pathway from where people are today into the prosperity of the digital economy. And so every time we do that by providing a pathway that doesn't exist to get people in there, we feel that we're serving our our opportunity mission. Then inclusion is just, we particularly want to focus on people from more disadvantaged backgrounds, whether that's a function of race or gender or being a veteran or, you know, college history or family college history or, or, or factors like that. And the cool thing I've seen, Roslyn, so it's again doing this, we have a mission, but we're not a charity, right? Like, so we have a mission and we have to report on it, you know, to the state where we're, where we're registered, but we're not a charity. Like we have to, we have to deliver for our customers' business value. But I've, I've started to see more and more how actually those are working synergistically. 
as opposed to being like two separate things that we work on. And, and it's this way. So, you know, a lot of what we're also looking for in our people is drive, right? Commitment to, to dedication to making things happen. And, and especially you can get, and we gen, we, we've had people in the 50s, in their 50s go through our program. So we look at all age range, but generally we're more at the younger end of folks. And sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with younger folks, and this is just the truth, like they don't have a ton of experience. They haven't necessarily developed that, you know, that adulthood level maturity and, and commitment. And they're just not kind of where they need to be to, to execute and perform as a professional. Mm-hmm. But we're finding that as we serve our inclusion mission, we're also finding that drive criteria and capability. We have just one part about it, we, we've had almost half the people through our program have been either immigrants or children of immigrants, for example. But when we're evaluating and assessing, not just from a social mission basis, but from a business criteria basis, we mark that as a positive. Because even if they're young, there's a lot they've had to overcome and, and they've already exercised significantly that maturity, that drive muscle, that commitment muscle through their existing life experiences. You know, they, you know, put another way, you know, as they became an adolescent and maybe a college student, not although not everyone gone to our college students, they weren't, just to be frank, they weren't necessarily like partying and having a lot of fun. Like they, they were, you know, holding a bunch of jobs while they were doing it and getting through all that. And, but see, this is a positive, for in terms of their preparedness to perform well, you know, with, with our employer clients. So it's been neat. We didn't really know how all this was going to go, but it's yeah. been neat to discover that as we've moved further and further in, into both, you know, satisfying our, our business objectives and our mission objectives. I love that. I love that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said from just life experience, right? In terms yeah. of shaping their personality and sort of that, that grit that everyone talks about, yeah. that, that, that commitment. So I love that. You know, as I think about the revenue engine, right? I think about this podcast, I always hope, you know, others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And really power that revenue engine, you know, as a serial CEO and founder, yeah. right? From your perspective, like, what are the top couple of things, maybe two or three things that, you know, you think other CEOs or founders should really be thinking about today, right, to establish that right framework for growing their business? Hmm. I mean, gosh, hopefully this hasn't been an answer to this question already on your podcast. But, <laughs> I, but I, I, I think, you know, it's been called a lot of like product-led growth, you know, you don't have to be a product-led growth company, but just you have to realize more and more and more, it keeps continuing. You know, I remember when Eloqua came out, like, 2010, it was the beginning, like, the big thing was like, oh, I mean, we remember all these phrases, like, two-thirds of the customer journey happens before they even talk to sales and stuff like that. But it's mm-hmm. gone further than that, obviously, further than blog posts and white papers, is you have to give your customers they don't they they want to make up most of their mind before they talk to you and it's not again the blog posts and the ebooks anymore it's they want to test and experience 
your offering, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that is. You know, easy to do, obviously, if you're a software company, but harder to do if you're a non-software company, but you got to do it anyhow, right? You got to mm -hmm. figure out a way to do it. Like, I, I'm just thinking of myself, my own business. You know, we I used to, when I would reach out to employers, I'm like, hey, let's schedule a call with me. And now I'm what I'm doing is I make claims and, you know, my messaging that I'm putting out and outbound and inbound, you know, channels. And then then the the next step for the CTA is to go prove my claims, go look over a roster of all my candidates, go inspect their portfolios, go see the projects they've done, go listen to their videos explaining why they did this instead of that in Marketo. Go, it, so it's just like, you know, go have an experience. So I make, you know, you make, you, you have a value proposition, you have messaging where you're expressing that value to a customer. They want to go from, from consideration of that message to evaluation of that message as quickly as possible. And, and so how, how, even if you're not a software company and can't do the whole product-led growth model, how can you provide experiences that allow them to evaluate your claims as quickly as possible and with as little friction as possible? I think that's the more and more, obviously, the more and more that you have that kind of customer journey, the better and better your, your revenue engine is going to operate. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. I love that. That really resonates with me, especially being on kind of on both sides, right? Being a buyer, obviously, I'm constantly looking to buy tech and buy things from folks although I'm not buying anything right now, so nobody needs to outbound to me. <laughs> no outbound reach, but always interested in kind of figuring out what's out there. But then on the flip side, you know, my role has always been enabling our sales team and our marketing team, right, to go out and prospect as well yeah. and getting them the right tools. But yeah, the simpler you can make that buyer, you know, journey and just the ability to quickly assess if that's, if your solution is right for me, then by, right. the time, by the time they reach out, they've already made a decision and it's probably yeah. going to come down to just a couple of things. Maybe the relationship, that conversation that they have with you, the interaction, right? Yeah. If, do they trust you? And then price a lot of times or timing. B2B companies that evaluate, yeah, price of course too. You know, B2B companies that evaluation used to be, well, what, what kind of relationship can I make with the brand? I'm, you know, reading their blog and, and so I'm developing an affinity of trust with them. But I think now, again, you see in the PLG stuff, like how it's got to get next steps. And I think the challenge and for software companies, that's pretty easily achievable for non-software companies. I think that's where the challenge is. And how can you be a, how can you creatively provide them ways to still immediately assess the validity of your of your messaging's claims. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you could, you know, oh, kind of hit that reset button? <laughs> oh god. I would well, you mean on like entrepreneurial stuff? Anything. Anything yeah. life stuff. <laughs> I mean, life stuff, you know, well, gosh. I, I mean, huh. Well, you know, I thought entrepreneurship was like romantic and exciting and challenging. <laughs> I found it just devastatingly difficult, particularly particularly psychologically on a personal basis. I wish I was more aware and prepared for that mm. going into that. So that would be one big one. I also learned a ton about leadership and, you know, I sort of grew up in more of an old school, you know, I, 
top-down kind of approach and applied that as I became into more and more leader leadership roles and learn quite quickly how ineffective that is and uh, <laughs> had, to, uh, had to learn a lot about that and and, and try to evolve and, and grow myself in terms of what I did. So that would be a big one. And then I think in business, I'd go back to that value proposition stuff. You know, when you start in the journey of entrepreneurship, it's generally going to, unless, you know, you're really fortunate, going to be a decade-long journey. So you really want to really want to get an idea as much as you can before you go deep in is like, is that, you know, what are the odds of the, the success? And I think lots and lots of investigation around that value, value proposition early on for an entrepreneur is big. There's a book called The Mom Test that's about that process that I've wish I had known about in 2010. But, you know, just learning ways that you can ask questions and gather data to evaluate value propositions, you know, before you're halfway through a, a decade-long commitment and you're like, oh, this might not actually work after all. Like, <laughs> that, that's a tough time to, to, to come to that realization. Got it. Those are great. Those are great tips. Great, great advice. Thank you. Cool. So, well, thank you so much for joining me. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask two things. One, what is the one thing about Toby that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Oh, man, I don't think I read this far down on the pre-question. So I gotta... <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to figure this out. Were you surprised to learn about me? I mean, I don't think your listeners have one iota who I am, so I don't know if to be surprised about me. But I guess... People who know me professionally, I've generally been pretty intense. Uh, you know, I'm a dad of three daughters and, and you know, an incredibly wonderful wife. So I'm pretty soft on the home front, I guess, would be <laughs> the surprise side. What is it, what you want everyone to know about me? I mean, what I want all the listeners to know about me is that I'm the CEO of a program that can provide them the job-ready, affordable, and diverse talent they're looking for to staff their their marketing operations function. That's Sorry awesome. if that's too much of a plug, but that's my No, answer. that's perfect. I love that. I love that. And I mean, I just love what you're building. And like, it, like we were talking kind of before we started recording, I mean, it's just really interesting what you're doing. I think it's amazing. And just I'm super happy to be able to share your story and just really grateful for your time. So thank oh. you so much for joining me, Toby. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to, to be on here today. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you. 